Today's scripture is a reading from Psalms 88, 1 through 18. Please read the highlighted verses with me. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline my ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my, day, my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me, you have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? or your faithfulness in abandonment? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death, from my youth up, I suffered your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your deadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Man, that psalm sounds bad enough when you just read it to yourself. <laughs> when you read it out loud to that, you're like, let's just go home and take a nap. <laughs> um, before I get started, I'd like to thank uh, Daniel and Brad in, in the session uh, for allowing me to invite myself to come and preach <laughs> this morning. I met a couple of the elders this morning, and they didn't even know I was here. So it worked out, it worked out great. Let me, um, let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we do ask for you to pour out your spirit on us. We're here this morning with so much going on in our own lives, the lives of those that we love and care about. We struggle to believe you. We struggle to know that you love us. So we ask for your help that even as we sit here, that you would be present, that you would grab our hearts you would remind us that you really do love us. You delight in us. Help us to know that and rest in it, Lord, we pray. Amen. Someday, 
when I'm awfully low, when the world is cold, I will feel a glow just thinking of you and the way you look tonight. That was the song that was sung the very the very first time I danced with my wife. I don't remember anything else about my wedding day. <laughs> but I remember that. I remember the way she looked, the way she smelled, the way that I felt. There's something about a song, right? There's something about a song that gets in us in a way that, that prose or narrative or propositions, they, they just don't, they don't sink down into our very being the way that a song does. This is the, uh, the point of the song. You, you know, songs get in us, right? Like they help us remember uh, where we were when something happened, what we were doing, the, the circumstances of your life. Whenever you hear a particular song, you can go back and you're like, oh, that's in me. The way I think about that first song when I danced with my wife, it, it's, it's in me. The Psalter is supposed to do exactly that. I want you to know that the, the Psalter is not primarily a, a prayer journal. It, it's actually a, a hymn book for the people of God. It, it teaches us to sing. It, it teaches us to, to internalize the, the beautiful truth of the gospel in, in ways that, that doctrine and propositions and, and other things just just don't get into us. Look, you know this, that the American church, we're, we're pretty good about knowing the words of the song. But do we know the tune? Do we know how to sing? Have we allowed the gospel to get into us in such a deep, internal, and beautiful way? So of course, the question then is, is what does Psalm 88 teach us to sing? How do we sing? What are we to sing about? Psalm 88 teaches you and I how to sing in the darkness. Not when things are going well. Not when our church is full. Not when there's all sorts of great programs that are going together. It teaches us to actually sing when it feels like we don't have anything to sing about. It teaches us to sing in the midst of our doubt. It teaches us to sing in the midst of our hurt. It teaches us to sing in the midst of our uncertainty and our confusion. It teaches us to sing no matter whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. It teaches us to sing in the darkness. Three times, three times the psalmist mentions the dark. Look at verse 6. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Verse 12. 
Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? And then I want you to think about the way it ends. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The word darkness is at the end of this psalm on purpose. Because whoever wrote it, when he ends it, it feels like to him in that moment that that's it. That he wins. The darkness is won. It has the final say. And if you're breathing, and if you're completely honest with yourself, you have experienced this. Or you at least know someone who's in the middle of it right now. And look, look at the way that it, it's described. This is what the darkness looks like. Verse 3. My soul is full of troubles. My, law, my life draws near to Sheol. It, it, his whole being is just like, I can't get rid of it. It's just consumed him. Verse 4, he has no strength. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. I mean, I don't know if any of you struggle with depression. But you know what it's like not to have any strength. You know what it's like to not, get out of, to not feel like you can get out of bed. Verse 5, it feels like God has forgotten him. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me. This feeling of just being overwhelmed. Feeling like the darkness is just unending. And then verse 14, it feels like God is hiding. Oh God, he says, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? You ever feel this way? Please tell me I'm not the only one. What are, uh, what are some of the words that you would sometimes use to describe your experience with God? And I, and. And in my notes here, I italicize experience, right? Like, we're good at being in our heads, living in our heads, knowing what's true, knowing what's right. But how do you experience God? How do you, how do you feel God in the depth of your being? Tell me if some of these words ring a bell. Dry. Empty. Lonely torturous, devoid of all feeling, dark. Sit with those words for a second. Can you relate? Mother Teresa used those words to describe her experience of God in her journal that they found after she passed away. And look, I don't care what you think about Mother Teresa's theology, that woman died to self to follow Jesus in ways that you and I never will. And for decades, 
she felt this way. And of course, the atheists loved it, right? Christopher Hitchens, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that name. He wrote some books and did some debates. He says this, he says that um, she was no more exempt, Mother Teresa was no more exempt from the realization that religion is a human fabrication. She was not exempt from that more than any other person and that her attempted cure was, to more, was more and more professions of faith all they could have done was deepen the pit that she had dug for herself. What, what Hitchens is saying in that moment is just like, you see, you see, God doesn't make any difference. Here's a woman who's given her life away for religion, and she still feels all this. This is the way that she's experiencing God. And perhaps what Psalm 88 does, it actually teaches us to sing in the depth of all of that. One theologian says this, Our faith begins at the point where atheists suppose that it must be at an end. Our faith begins with the bleakness and power, which is the night of the cross. Abandonment, temptation, and doubt about everything that exists. Our faith must taste this nothing, nothingness and be given to taste in such a way that no philosophy of nihilism can imagine. Are you comfortable with this? Are you comfortable with a type of faith that, that makes no sense? A type of faith that doesn't come through for you and you think it should? Are you comfortable with the type of faith that speaks to God with this kind of honesty and intimacy? I mean, this whole psalm is asking the question, where are you? What in the world are you doing? That's what this whole psalm is doing. And it, ne it never gives an answer. And I don't know about you, but I hate that. I was, uh, I was driving in my car not too long ago, just a few weeks ago in, in, in Salt Lake City. It, it, it was just beautiful blue sky, not a, not a, not a cloud in the sky. And I was, I, my wife and I are really struggling with kind of like what's next in, in our season of life. And, and we have two kids that have, one has already left the house, another one's leaving. And I'm like, man, what, you know, what do we do now? And, and I'm like, God, like it, it's a beautiful blue sky. You know, you could just write what you want me to do in the sky. And just tell me, like, really, is that that difficult for you? And, you know, after I whined and pouted for a little bit, I, it was this really clear kind of thing that said, but you wouldn't trust me. I mean, look, Jesus could stand right here and he'd say, hey, here's what I want you to do. And I'd be like, mm, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Can we, can we trust him? Can we trust him enough to be this honest and this intimate with him? Look, look at all the, the, it's either similes or metaphors. I always get these mixed up. But verses 3 through 5, right? They're starting in verse 4. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, 
like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Have you ever sat with someone and all they do is complain? And at first, like you're trying really hard to listen and care and be compassionate, and you're nodding your head, and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then after a while, you're just like, oh, really? Really? Like, you know, we're talking first world problems here, right? Like, can you just, can you just move on? God does not respond to you that way. I mean, th this whole psalm is complaint after complaint after complaint. And it's almost like the God of the universe is, is saying, yeah, bring it. Come on. I mean, it's almost like that's all you got. That's all you're going to complain about. And then, the, and then he just keeps going. And the whole time, what you never hear is, how dare you talk to me like that? How dare you question me? How dare you doubt me? It's none of that. The God of the universe cares about us and loves us so much that he has actually given us the words to say back to him when we feel this way. There is no, oh, you feel really bad. All right, handle it. Good luck. Figure it out on your own. The Psalms teach us what to say. They teach us how to sing. And the reason we know what to say and what to sing is because God has given us the words to say and to sing back to him. We learn how to complain. We, weren't, we learn how to struggle. We learn how to doubt. We learn how to ask questions in the same way that we learned our native language. That we listened to people who loved and cared for us. We heard what they were saying and eventually we were able to say back to them what they were saying to us. You don't have to guess in what to say and how to say it. Y'all, I... So I'm from Georgia. Um, <laughs> Y'all, I stink at prayer. I, I cannot tell you how often, and, and it's great when you're a pastor because you're the like, you know, it's a big group and they're like, oh, pastor's here, why don't you pray? And I'm like, oh, Lord, please, please don't. But inevitably, like, and I stink at it. But the Psalms give us the words. When we can't pray, when we don't know what to pray, we actually learn to cry out and complain to God. I mean, this is why Paul says that, you know, in our, in our weakness, we learn how to pray because sometimes all we can do is, Lord, oh, that may be the most honest prayer you've ever prayed before in your life when you get to that point. Real, real prayer is not when you, when you get the, huh, from the crowd that you're praying with, right? Like, we all love that. Like, we're praying out loud, and we get that, uh-huh. Like, that's the part. This is not it. This, this is a deep, raw emotion of, I'm in it. I'm in the darkness, and if you don't teach me how to sing in the midst of it, I got nothing. And yet God gives it to us. 
there's this notion within American Christianity that, that perhaps you've heard. It goes something like this. If I'm in the darkness, right? If I'm in the darkness, there must have been something I've done. It's my fault. You know, you, you, and forgive me if this is offensive, but, you know, you've, you've seen the, the stupid billboard or bumper sticker that says, you know, if you feel far from God, guess who's moved? But maybe it wasn't you. And look, I, I'm not saying that, you know, that oftentimes there are consequences to the choices that we make. We, we believe that if I run to something else, it will love me better than Jesus. Like, and, and are there consequences to that? Yeah, of course, sometimes there is. But sometimes there's things that are completely out of our control. But we, we tell ourselves, maybe I need to be a little more obedient. Maybe I need to have a little bit more faith. Maybe I need to work a little bit harder. Maybe I need to pray a little more. But did you notice the pronouns throughout this psalm? Verse 6, you have put me in the depths of the pit. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse 8, you have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. Verse 14, you hide your face from me. Why do you cast my soul away from you? Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. And then finally, verse 18, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. <laughs> the psalmist is saying, God, it's your fault that I'm in this place. And God is like, yeah. Yeah. I have brought you to this place. And there are certain times in our life where we have to be brought to this place. Psalm, what Psalm 88 does so well is it, ab it absolutely destroys the dangling carrot of certainty and control. It just wipes it out. We want it so bad. And it's an illusion. And I don't know why God brings us to this place in the times that he does, but he has to do it. And it could be some of the things that we prayed about this morning. Broken relationships. Maybe this is what the darkness is for you. Broken relationships. Your children have not turned out the way that you thought they would. Your life has not turned out the way that you thought it would. Your marriage has not turned out the way that you thought that it would. And our default mode, our go-to mode, is to try to figure it out on our own. To demand answers. That, I don't know about you, but like, you know, sometimes I say, Jesus, you know I'm a pastor, right? Like, I spent all this time and money going to school. I listen to people's problems all the time. And, and, and now I have to suffer, and I'll tell you a little bit about it in a second. And you don't give me any answers? You owe me! And God is like, mm -mm. no, no. So while Psalm 88, it kills certainty and control, perhaps honesty and intimacy are resurrected in our hearts in a way that we so deeply desire. 
What if? What if following Jesus was not just about making life work? What if it wasn't just about living a moral life or having all the answers? What if it wasn't about just making sure you're on the right or left side of the political aisle? And let me just pause for a second and say, if you're here this morning and you would not consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, let me say two things. Number one, thank you for being here, taking the risk to come and do this crazy thing called church. But second, let me also say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we have, that the American church has given this notion that Christianity is about being a better person and having a better morality than those people. I'm sorry that we have made it about that. Because what we have to be, church, we have to be honest about the reality is that if that was the goal of Jesus for our lives, if the goal of Jesus in our life was so that we could be better, and so that we could be more moral, and so that our marriages could look better than those who aren't Christians, can we just please be honest and say that Jesus is failing miserably at that? Can we just be honest about it? But if the goal of Jesus for our lives is to learn how to cry out to him and trust him in the midst of our darkness, then maybe, just maybe, he's starting to work in us. You guys know this, right? The church has lost its influence. It's lost its power. It's lost its relevance. My youngest daughter is 13 years old. And for nine years, she was the youngest grandchild. And when my brother-in-law and his wife had their first kid, I went to my nine-year-old daughter, this beautiful little girl, and I put my hands on her face. And I looked at her with just such deep compassion. And I said to her, it's been a good run, kiddo. You've had nine years of being the cutest little thing in our entire family, but that day's over. <laughs> the church has had a good run, y'all, but it's over. And so we can continue to pretend that the church is supposed to be the moral police and tell everyone what to do or how they're supposed to live, or we can be the people of God who cry out in the midst of our darkness. I cry day and night before you. What if that is what the church was known for? I mean, look at, look at verse 1. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, verse 13. But I, O oh Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. Don't miss this. That in the midst of his doubt and darkness and anger and uncertainty, confusion and hurt, he is still crying out to the Lord. And that is a faith that we can sing about. That is a faith that I am convinced is what will be attractive to our friends and our neighbors and our unbelieving children who are leaving the church like crazy because they have looked at our, at our moral frailty and our moral hypocrisy, and they've said, no thanks. 
But what if they saw us cry out in this way? And maybe, just maybe, they would say, that's the kind of God I want to believe in. I want to believe. And I want us to believe that what Jesus is doing is he's teaching us how to sing in the despair, in the confusion, in the chaos. And he is right there with us. Just not with us so that, you know, he's standing next to us. No, he is singing with us. Who is the one who experiences all this more than anyone else? The one who made every single decision with 100% motives. The one who healed the blind, made the lame walk, was resurrected from the dead, had a more intimate relationship with God more than anyone else. And yet he experienced this type of darkness in a way that we will never get. The wrath, the loneliness, the abandonment. He did all of that. And so when he sings with us, he is not singing just from a theological, theoretical perspective. He gets it better than you do. And he teaches you to sing. I just want to end quickly just with a personal note because you need to know that I am, that I am trying not to just preach theory up here. The, the last four to five years in my life, in the McKinney life, my family, it has been without a doubt some of the darkest years we have ever experienced. That within the past few years, I lost my mom and so grandma. We left the church in Chattanooga, Tennessee that we dearly loved and they loved us dearly. And we left because we thought God was calling us to something different. And here we are five years later and I still wonder if we made the right decision. I have seen two great churches in downtown Salt Lake City close their doors because of things that were completely out of my control, but still receive um, the result and the consequences of broken relationships and bearing a good bit of the blame. And about a year and a half ago, one of my dearest friends on the planet, a guy that we raised our families together, we went on two family vacations a year together because one was not enough, he took his life. And I preached his funeral. And I asked the question, where is God in the midst of this? In the midst of this kind of darkness? And the answer to that is he's here. With you. With me. There's a lot of death. Not much resurrection. A lot of darkness. Not a lot of light. And so when the psalmist ends with, you have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me, my companions have become darkness, it really does feel like the darkness is one. It feels like the darkness has the last word. And so for a few moments, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give the darkness the last word. Before we come to the table, I want you to just sit. And, I, and it's the perfect Sunday. It's family Sunday. So you have your little kids with you. And it's the perfect time to just sit and be quiet. 
But just sit in the darkness just for 30 seconds and believe that Jesus is teaching you to sing even in that. All right? So as best you can, just sit, be quiet, and then we'll go into communion. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. But, but, it does not have the last word. It does not have the final say. This table is proof, two things, one, that Jesus has gone into the darkness with us and for us and on our behalf. That when he hung on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the darkness. But it's also proof that he's with us in it. That this is not just some kind of Gnostic exercise that we do. This is real life. This is Jesus giving himself to us in a very real way, so that we know, experience, believe, walk out of here, waking up tomorrow morning knowing Jesus is with me because I tasted his body and his blood yesterday.